My dear sisters in Christ, during this retreat, we have been meditating on the life of our Lord and Savior and trying to gain the lessons that he is trying to teach us. We know that everything that Jesus said, everything he did, was part of that lesson. And so very often in our lives, we are so busy with our business and concerns that we fail to make his life, his joys, his sufferings, the main subject of our meditation. But this afternoon, as I preach to you, as part of this retreat, I want to present before you what was for Jesus the epitome of his accomplishments. He had his eyes always on the cross. The way we look at it, he was born in Bethlehem, he lived at Nazareth, then he preached, worked miracles, and then he suffered. But from God's point of view, the cross was always first. It was for the cross that he came into this world. It was for the cross that he was born in Bethlehem. It was for the cross that everything he did fell into place. And unless we, who are his followers, are determined by his holy grace to keep our eyes fixed on his blessed cross, we will not understand anything that he teaches us in his life. Jesus came into the world not to live but to die. He told his disciples this repeatedly, and they repeatedly refused to understand. They saw in him the greatest gift that God could give. They were willing to follow him wherever he went. They were spellbound by his teaching, witnessed his miracles, but again and again and again he referred to his cross. The poor you have always with you, he told them, but me you will not always have. The Son of Man must go as it has been prophesied, to be scourged and crowned with thorns and crucified, and then to be raised on the third day. And they would not listen because they were overwhelmed by the thought that anyone as full of God's grace as Jesus certainly was, someone as good and as kind to others as he had been, could ever undergo so terrible a fate as the fate of death. But when he told them of the cross, the most terrible death that anyone in his lifetime could die, this was intolerable to them. And to be very frank, it is intolerable even today to many who claim to be his followers. How many people there are who don't even wish to have a crucifix put up because it reminds them of what they call sad memories. Well, in this talk, I will present the crucifix to you because you will not understand Jesus and will not penetrate his gospel until his cross is inscribed upon your heart. 
Jesus our Lord, throughout his ministry, worked so many good deeds for so many people that perhaps it was almost impossible for some people to think that he could ever fall afoul of the authorities. But Jesus knew from the beginning that his preaching and his life and his demands would meet contradiction and even rejection. When our Lord was in his ministry here on earth, what happened when he went from place to place? We know, of course, that there were people who came out to be healed and to listen to him, sometimes great crowds. But what also happened was also present from the beginning. Jesus had his enemies, the scribes and the Pharisees who were stinging from the rebukes that he gave them, the wealthy and the powerful who were taken aback by his demands of renunciation and sacrifice, the people in authority who didn't like to hear what he said about being a humble servant of God. By preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus guaranteed that in this world as it is, the cross would follow him. All of us here today know that when someone truly follows Jesus Christ, they do attract from many people love and respect and devotion. But we also know that that's only half of the story. Whenever anyone truly follows the Lord Jesus Christ, there will always be contradictions, opposition, persecution, because the message of the gospel is a message of death to the old self. It calls us to crucify our old self, to put it to death so that the new self can be created by God. And many will bitterly resent and resist with all their might such a call, as they did in his day. Jesus preached to great multitudes of people, but how many people, even in the face of those multitudes, simply chose not to listen to him, not to be present, not to pay attention to what he was saying. The rich and the powerful from the very beginning suspected him sent spies to watch him at every turn, reported on every word he spoke, and he knew it. And he never allowed that to keep him from bravely proclaiming the truth. Wherever he went, there were people who objected to what he said or to what he did. Christ, who knew us very well, knew that he would face all of this in his ministry. He drew strength from his heavenly Father to persevere, but he persevered in the face of great opposition. I'd like you to just think about something that all of us here need to think about. Perhaps in your life, God has given you the grace to meet a really good priest, a priest that you love and respect and admire. And if you introduce me to him, I'm sure I would also be filled with the same love and respect for him.
But as sure as God made heaven and earth, if I got to know him, I'd find out about the crosses that he's carrying. Because no one in this world preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ without the crown of thorns. No one. Today, people speak in hush whispers and in veneration of St. John Paul II. But think of everything that he suffered in his life, especially as Pope, by preaching the truth to us and never apologizing for it. The many people who mocked him, turned away from him, insulted him. That has always been the fate of those who are the friends of God, because if we are the friends of this world, then we're not the friends of God, as St. John tells us. Jesus preached the kingdom of God without apology on every occasion. And wherever he went, there were souls touched by God's grace and there were souls hardened by hatred and indifference. That will always be the story of the gospel. Cardinal Newman in his beautiful sermons reminds us that when we look at the life of Jesus, we who believe in him and who love him are touched and moved by the things he said. But all of us know people who are not moved at all, who are turned in their hearts against him, who do not wish to hear the words that he spoke. This is the reality that we face, the reality that the cross of Jesus Christ is everywhere that no one gets to the kingdom of heaven without sharing that cross, that those who follow Jesus must always be prepared to share in his sufferings. And if you read the lives of the saints, what do you find? Who were the saints? Always the people who said yes to Jesus, whatever contradictions or sufferings or difficulties came across their path. Mother Teresa, John Paul II, and so many others, they all said yes to the Lord. And now they share his glory and the beauty of his kingdom. But on earth, they shared other things as well. And our Lord, in the story of his passion, shows us exactly what this means. And every one of us, here in this chapel today, especially as we pass through the great season of Lent and of Holy Week, should recall it to our minds as if we had never heard it before. I remember that once when I was a very young priest and I was for a brief time at the cathedral in our diocese, that we were having a very difficult time with the high school students in the religion classes. They didn't want to listen. They weren't interested. They were misbehaving. And so finally, I don't know what got into me. I got up one evening and I said, all of you sit down and you listen. Because you may think you know your faith, but I'm going to tell you, you don't know anything about it. And then when they quieted down, I told them the story of the passion. I told them, do you even understand 
what he did for you. He was a man in the prime of his life, a man who had the adulation of the crowds, a man who was shamefully and deceitfully arrested in the middle of the night at a time when there were few there to defend him and who saw all of the people who were his dearest friends and disciples abandon him and desert him, who was taken a prisoner on a flimsy, ridiculous charge and from the very beginning of his imprisonment treated with the greatest brutality, slapped and beaten by the guards, kept overnight in a cell that would have been the death of any other person, abandoned, harassed by the questions of the high priest, mocked, insulted, slapped in the face. And then when they had finished their horrible treatment of one whom they should have had compassion for as their brother, they had him directed to Pontius Pilate. And he came before Pilate already beaten, bearing the marks of his ill treatment, covered with blood. And Pilate said, what do you have to say against this man? And then they poured out every venomous charge that they could pour out, lying about him from the beginning. Though they were supposed to be the guardians of truth and religion for their people, breaking all of God's commandments as they handed Jesus over to the hands of his enemies. He disturbs the people. He leads the people astray. He tells falsehoods. He forbids payment of taxes to Caesar and on and on and on until Pilate breaking in says to Jesus, what do you have to say to these charges? And he is appalled and silenced when Jesus has nothing at first to say. Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? To which the answer came, you would have no power over me whatsoever were it not given to you from above. Are you then a king? Yes, he said, I am a king. For this was I born, for this I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth, and all who listen to the truth hear my voice. And Pilate was overwhelmed by what Jesus said. First he tried to pawn him off on Herod, who when Jesus came into his presence treated him with nothing but contempt, for Jesus would answer none of his questions, sent him back to Pilate. Pilate, with his prisoner on his hands, beginning to sweat because he felt the threat, the threat to report him to Caesar if he did not destroy someone who was an enemy of Caesar, again questioned Jesus. Finding no way out at last, he thought of an idea. I'll let the people choose between him and that terrible condemned revolutionary Barabbas. They'll have to think about what they want to do. And when Barabbas was brought in and stood next to Jesus, Pilate asked them, who will you have? 
Jesus, who calls himself the Son of God, or Barabbas, the revolutionary. And they shouted out, let Jesus be crucified. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And so Barabbas, a murderer, revolutionary, was released. And Jesus stood before Pilate. Pilate had tried every half measure he knew to escape from his dilemma. He put Jesus into the hands of the guards who took him and used the usual penalty of scourging, but used it with greater brutality than ever because the Roman guards hated the Jews. And this man who claimed to be their king aroused their mockery. And two of them whipped him with such ferocity that he seemed almost dead and covered with wounds when he was finished. And then, to leave nothing undone, the guards cried out, So, he calls himself the king of the Jews. Let us test his patience. And they found a bramble bush. And with the help of a stick to carry it, they placed it upon his forehead and pressed it in till his face flowed with blood. And then, scourged and crowned with thorns, half dead from exhaustion and hunger, he was brought before Pilate, barely able to stand. And Pilate said to the people, who will you have? Jesus of Nazareth, away with him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king except Caesar. The ultimate betrayal for a Jew to speak such a word. And so Pilate, washing his hands, in spite of the appeals of his wife, said, I find no case against this man. It is your concern. And the crowd shouted in approval and carried Jesus outside the praetorium and there in his exhausted condition, more dead than alive, laid a crossbeam upon his shoulders, which immediately pressed him to the ground. They forced him to get up and to carry it. He tried. Eventually he became so weak along the way they pressed an on-goer to looker to come and help him. Simon of Cyrene, first reluctantly, but then more and more as he carried it with sympathy, carried the cross for Jesus as Jesus became weaker and weaker, till at last Jesus was barely able to take a step as they reached the place of the skull. All along the way, Jesus was spat upon and cursed. His mother stopped and tried to show him love, but was pushed away. Veronica tried, she was pushed away. It seemed that he was surrounded by nothing but enemies. In the very city where people had been acclaiming a week before that he is Christ, our King, and now they were delivering him to death. He came to the place of the skull, more dead than alive. And there, 
with incredible savagery and cruelty, they ripped off his garments, which tore open all the wounds on his body. And there took spikes and nailed them into his wrist and to his feet, causing such an agony that Christ writhed with pain. And then they lifted up the cross and dropped it into place, and there stood to watch him strangle to death on his blood as he gasped for air and tried to breathe until so weakened was he by the passion that after a mere three hours, nothing for the time of crucifixion, after a mere three hours, he collapsed after saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's what happened to Jesus. And no artist, no portrayals can ever soften the brutal reality of what he willed to endure for us. And he chose to suffer every bit of that pain for you and for me and for everyone in the world, knowing ahead of time, sweating blood, knowing that many would have no interest whatsoever, would not care that he suffered and died, would go on living and sinning and dying as if Jesus had never come for them, and still he prayed for everyone on the cross. For he knew a day would come when there would be some people who had cried for his blood, who would be converted and drink his precious blood in the Eucharist, people who spat at his cross, who later repented of their sins and came to believe in him. For St. Luke tells us that when he bowed his head and died, all the people returned home beating their breasts in sorrow. Christ suffered and died for every single one of us here today. And this is why none of us should ever at any time be ashamed of the cross of Christ or try in any way to minimize it. Over the years that I've been a priest, I've been in many places, assigned to many places. And one of the things I can always notice whenever I go to a new parish or go to any Catholic institution to help out is whether or not they have the cross of Jesus Christ displayed for all to see. At our local hospital, there are no crucifixes left in the rooms. They've all been removed. And the sisters run the hospital, but they've removed the crucifixes. I've been in parishes where it's almost impossible to find a portrayal of Christ crucified although it used to be, and I believe still is, the law of the Church, that Mass should never be offered without the image of Christ crucified in front of us. What's the first prayer we teach little children? The sign of the cross. And if they can make it with love and devotion, we compliment them and thank them and say, you've taken a great step in showing your love for Jesus. But today, how many people are ashamed to make the sign of the cross? I can't do that here in public with everybody watching. 
making the sign of the cross when their master was crucified in public for the salvation of all the world. Today, many people have forgotten the cross of Jesus. That's one of the reasons why when you speak to them about the Lord, they don't listen to you. But let me tell you that if anyone ever comes to begin to look at the cross of Jesus and begins to understand what he suffered and why he suffered, that will be the beginning of their conversion. The cross is our salvation. During Lent, as we make the stations of the cross, we come to each station and we say the words, we adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. God has been very good to me in my life, and by his great mercy, about seven or eight years ago, I was invited to be the chaplain for a Holy Land pilgrimage. I had no warning. I was totally overwhelmed that they asked me to do it. And while I was with the people there, we visited many powerful and beautiful places. But what I think I most remember is being in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and mounting up the steps and kneeling on the floor at the very spot where our blessed Lord was nailed to the cross. And praying there and being overwhelmed by the thought of his love. And then walking down the steps and coming to a slab on the ground where they had laid his body after he was taken down from the cross, where they first anointed him. And then some steps away, the little chapel of the Holy Sepulchre where I said Holy Mass. And while I was saying Holy Mass, all of it came home to me. This really happened. He really offered himself for me and for everyone for the salvation of the world. I hope all of you will be able to go to the Holy Land someday. I hope all of you will be able to kneel at that spot with all the pilgrims down through the centuries who there have adored the Lord and thanked him for his love, where you can reach out and touch the rock where the cross was fixed, where you can kneel at the spot where his body was laid, where you can enter the tomb and see the blessed sepulcher where our Savior conquered death. What is the greatest feast day in the church here? Easter. Why? Because after Good Friday came Easter. And Jesus, who had been so abused by his enemies, conquered sin and death. He came in his risen body, radiant, filled with beauty, though it still bore the marks of the nails, and said to his disciples, Peace be with you. And is it any wonder that those who had been so faithless and unbelieving when they saw the risen Lord and saw that he still loved them and still wanted them to be his disciples and still had confidence in them, knelt before him and said what Thomas said, my Lord and my God. 
Be not an unbeliever, Thomas. Take your hand and put it into my side. Put your finger into the mark of the nails and be no longer unbelieving, but believe. If you take this retreat seriously, if you wish Almighty God to be close to you in these days ahead, then today in your prayers, offer your life to Jesus. Thank him for what he suffered and did for you. Ask him that in your life you will always be willing with joy and humility to make the sign of the cross and to express your faith in him who dying destroyed our death and rising restored our life and is forever the king of glory, the risen savior who conquered death itself for all of us. After what he suffered, there is nothing more for us to fear for death itself has been swallowed up in victory. Christ has triumphed. And let us always remember every day of our lives that he wishes to continue to win his triumph in each one of us. For when you believe in Jesus and put your hope in him, and when you love him with all of your strength, then his cross and resurrection are present in all their power. And by God's grace, the words of Jesus come true. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.